0: Welcome to I Was Only Doing My Job, Australia's military history told through the stories of those who've served. I'm your host, Ross Manuel, and let's get started. Last week I talked about the early life and military service of Harry the Breaker Morant, and this week we'll be focusing primarily on the fallout of that service. Last episode would end with the officers and NCOs of Fort Edward, a blockhouse in northern Transvaal, modern-day South Africa, being escorted to Petersburg and Lieutenant Morant being arrested by Frederick de Bertadano on his return from Pretoria following the finalisation of the affairs of Captain Percy Hunt, the late commander of A Squadron Bushveld Carbineers, who had been killed in action. This was all because of a damning letter compiled by 15 garrison troopers of the Bushveld Carbineers, or BVC, and was penned by Trooper Robert Cochrane, a former Justice of the Peace of Western Australia, in response to seven separate incidents. While the trial transcripts, like a lot of official files from the period between 1850 and 1914, were lost either by civil service statute or destroyed by the German Luftwaffe during the Blitz of the Second World War, a lot of what is known about these trials comes from summaries that appeared in the Times of London and the memoirs of Lieutenant George Witten. In response to the letter... A military court of inquiry was convened on the 16th of October, 1901, under Colonel H.M. Carter as president of the court. The military court of inquiry is a kind of tribunal that is appointed to investigate a matter and decide whether or not a court-martial is warranted. The inquiry itself went on for six weeks to deliberate and determine if there was enough evidence to go to trial. The findings of the court determined there was enough evidence for charges to be laid on six of the seven incidents, indicting six officers of the Bushveld Carbineers. They were Lieutenants Harry Morant, Peter Hancock, George Witten, Henry Pickton, and Captain Alfred Taylor, the base intelligence officer at Fort Edward, and Colonel Robert Lenahan, commander of the Bushveld Carbineers. Morant himself would face four separate charges of, while on active service, committing the offense of murder. Relating to the execution of Flores Visser the murder of eight Dutch and Boer prisoners near Elam Hospital, the assassination of Reverend Hees, and the execution of three Boers who surrendered to BBC forces outside Fort Edward in the hope of seeking medical care. According to the official report to the British War Office, Morant was either the primary instigator or directly responsible for the murder of approximately 12 to 20 Boers over those four separate incidents. However, Morant and his co-accused, wouldn't initially be aware of these charges placed against them as they were placed in solitary confinement from when the point they were arrested in October until the court-martial was convened on the 16th of January 1902. Major James Francis Thomas, a solicitor from Tenterfield, New South Wales and a member of the New South Wales Mounted Rifles, had been initially retained to represent Colonel Lanahan, and had to travel to Petersburg on short notice but as most of the six accused were exclusively Australian, with both Picton and Taylor being British, he agreed to represent all of them at the last minute. However, as Morant was not interested in leaving his fate to a Bush lawyer, he apparently opted to speak for himself, which probably didn't help his chances. The first court-martial was convened in secret, which was contrary to regulations that all court-martials had to be out in the open and accessible to civilians and related to the execution of Issa, beginning on the 16th of January 1902, with the four lieutenants, Morant, Hancock, Picton, and Witten, being, char- being tried, though each man was tried separately. This hearing was conducted at a Petersburg blockhouse in, a re- in relatively relaxed conditions. Morant's main defence, and that of most of the others, was that he'd been following orders that no prisoners were to be taken, and that he'd been simply following orders, a defence that is now known as the Nuremberg Defence, made infamous by the defence made by Nazi officers in war crime tribunals following the Second World War. He claimed that these orders came from Captain Hunt, as repeated by Captain Taylor following Hunt's death, and based on standing but unwritten orders from Lord Herbert Kitchener, the Commander-in-Chief of British and Dominion forces in South Africa. While this would be his defence in all four court-martials, it could not be corroborated, and Morant would be found guilty of murder, in this particular case, while Hancock, Witten, and Picton would be charged with manslaughter. The proceedings were interrupted on on January 23rd by a Boer attack on the Petersburg blockhouses. Morant and his co-accused were released and issued arms in order to participate in the defence. Apparently, they fought bravely and in the direct line of fire, assisting in the repelling of the attack. Major Thomas, in response to this, filed a plea of condonation based on the memorandum of corporal punishments issued by Duke of Wellington back in 1832, re- relating to the performance of a duty of honour or of trust, after the knowledge of an offence committed by a soldier, or to convey a pardon for the offence, meaning that because the men acted with honour in defence of the blockhouse from a bore attack, they should be pardoned from the crimes at which they had been charged, and the plea was promptly dismissed. The second court-martial was convened on the 31st of January 1902 and focused on the murder of the Boer and Dutch prisoners at Illum Hospital. During the course of this court-martial, Morant struck to his defence of following orders to not bring prisoners back to the fort. However, the large number of depositions by members of the BVC that were made gave damning evidence against the accused, resulting in Morant, Hancock and Witten being found guilty. Soon after the second hearing, probably as a result of the Boer attack, and probably due to the severity of their crimes, the prisoners were put in irons and taken to Pretoria while under heavy guard, and tried for the third main count, that of killing Reverend Hees. Despite the evidence being presented, no guilt could be found for either Morant or Hancock, who were the only two officers charged with the Reverend's murder. While this was the case, he was was however found guilty of ordering the troopers under his command to execute Rolf Van Standen, and both his sons, who had surrendered in the hope of receiving medical attention. Due to the guilty verdicts associated with the visa and the eight Boers killed near Elam Hospital, Morant and Hancock would be, on the 24th of February, 1902, sentenced to death. For their own crimes, Witten would be sentenced to life in prison, Picton would be cashiered, or ritually dismissed in disgrace, Lenahan was forced to resign and sent back to Australia, and all charges against Taylor would be dropped. In response to these court martials, the entirety of the Bushfield Carbineers would also be disbanded. It is said that Captain Robertson, the disgraced former commanding officer of A Squadron, Bushfield Carbineers, who had been replaced by Captain Hunt and thus put the entirety of these events into play, was personally handed Morant and Hancock's execution orders from Lord Kitchener, where he allegedly said, Think yourself lucky that you're not amongst them. As preparations were being made to carry out the sentences, Major Thomas frantically attempted to appeal to Lord Kitchener, even going as far as to appeal to King Edward VII, only to find that the sentences had already been confirmed and that no clemency would be offered. Morant and Hancock at once requested writing materials and apparently wrote letters to Kitchener, to family members in Australia and the Australian government, as well as drafted telegrams. By accounts, some of this mail was detained in Pretoria, though certain letters apparently did arrive at their destinations. On the 26th of February, as the day wore on, the prisoners could hear the sound of coffins being built. Shortly afterwards, Whitten had was told that he and Picton would be leaving the following morning, bound for England. Lenahan had already left Cape Colony, and Taylor was a free man. That night, Morant, Picton, Hancock, and Witten had a last supper together, and at Morant's request, he and Hancock were allowed to spend their last night in the same cell. Morant apparently spent most of the night writing and then penned a final sardonic verse, which he titled Butchered to Make a Dutchman's Holiday. He apparently also wrote a confession, stating that he had killed the Boers, who he believed killed Captain Hunt. At 0500 hours on the 27th of February, Witten and Picton were taken away and were allowed to say a brief farewell to Morant and Hancock, but were only allowed to do so through the small gate in the cell door in which they clasped hands. Shortly before 0600, Morant and Hancock were led out of the fort at Pretoria to be executed by firing squad from the King's own Cameron Highlanders. Both men refused to be blindfolded. Morant gave his cigarette case to the squad leader, and his last words were either, shoot straight, you bastards, don't make a mess of it, or take this thing off, referring to the blindfold, and once it was removed, stated, be sure and make a good job of it. Breaker Morant will be 37 at the age of his execution. However, his story does not end at this point. The Australian government was apparently not informed of the court-martial until the day of the sentence being carried out, and only found out about it in detail when it was announced in March 1902, and that was only after requesting the particulars of the case to Lord Kitchener. He responded in a telegram to the Australian Governor-General on April 5th, and it was published in full in all Australian papers. This telegram caused an uproar in Australia, where it was generally believed that Kitchener suppressed the court-martials, namely due to the fact that the only, only two officers who were found guilty were Australian. This gave rise to the belief that Morant and Hancock had been scapegoats, or had been sacrificed due to their status as being colonials. This was compounded following the release of Witten's memoir in 1907, following the commuting of his life sentence, following an extensive letter-writing campaign. Morant's execution had much longer-reaching and immediate legal implications, as Morant and Hancock would go down in history as the first subjects of the British Empire to be tried and convicted of a war crime, namely that of murdering surrendered prisoners of war. Their executions would also influence the strained military policy, as when the 1903 Defence Act was put into law, Following a review from Lord Kitchener on Australia's ability to defend itself and what consolidated the colonial forces into one singular national defence force, it contained provisions within it that limited the offences for which death sentences could be imposed by a court-martial and required that such sentences to be confirmed by the Governor-General of Australia, thus preventing Australian service personnel from being under total foreign legal command again. This act alone prevented over 150 Australians who had been sentenced to death in the First World War from being executed. Almost immediately following his death, Morant was elevated to the status of folk hero, placing him alongside other infamous figures like Ned Kelly. This status would result in a number of plays and books being written about him or the trial, culminating in the 1980s movie titled Breaker Morant, which portrayed the titular character as a scapegoat charged to deflect attention away from the deeds carried out by his superiors. The narrative of Harry the Breaker Morant still continues to this day, with a number of legal and political attempts by people and groups even as recently as January 2021 to try and have him pardoned for his crimes, and to date, all have been unsuccessful. This series on Breaker Morant was probably the most challenging episodes to research, mainly due to having to separate the myth from the man, which, considering the fact that so little is actually known about him, that's true, it was a considerable feat. However, what is true and known is that Breaker Morant's legacy will never truly fade away. Thanks for listening to the I Was Only Doing My Job Australia's Military History Podcast, a Doc Network production. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Dangara people whose elders have passed on knowledge for thousands of years, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was written, researched, produced, directed, and audio engineered by me, Ross, with additional research done by Laurie Favell of My Silent Hero. If you do know someone whose story needs to be told, feel free to leave a comment on an episode or send us an email at IWasOnlyDoingMyJobPod at gmail.com. If you like what we do here and you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is share this with a friend or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform as it really helps others find the show. And if you want to join in on the conversation, join us over on Discord. And if you want more content, including show notes, photos, transcripts, and my various adventures finding memorials dotted around Australia, head over to our website at www.thedocnetwork.net and follow the show on all our social media pages at IWODMJ. Don't worry, there are links to everything in the show notes. Join me personally for more bite-sized history over on TikTok and pretty much everywhere else at Doc Winters. All opinions expressed in this episode are solely those of the speaker and don't reflect the views or opinions of any entity, agency, or organization. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time, bye.